Hey, and welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. Today, we're going to be talking about the woman at the well. Stay tuned. We can find the Samaritan woman's story in John chapter 4. We'll be looking at John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30, and chapter 4, verses 39 through 42. But before we begin our reading, I'm going to go ahead and give some background so that this story can be understood in the way that it deserves. To start this off, this is our first woman of the Bible who we're going to be studying that is found in the New Testament. And she's our first woman that we'll be talking about from the gospel. I'm starting with her because her story is a really beautiful message about what the whole gospel is about. But pause on that, and we're going to take a look at Jesus first, because that's kind of what we're always supposed to do. So, this account of the woman at the well happens early on in Jesus's ministry. So far, um, a lot of what he's done is he's turned water into wine, he's flipped over tables in the temples, and his message is already really making the Pharisees mad. Oh, the Pharisees? Those were considered the spiritual leaders of the day. But the problem with them was they made this big show of following Jewish laws, but their hearts were pretty ugly. They thought of themselves as being better than the people around them. And so they weren't really a fan of Jesus's message because Jesus came for the sinners, for the sick, as he called them, not so much for the people that pretended to be perfect and well. This story also comes a chapter after Jesus taught this one man named Nicodemus the basics of the gospel. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about John 3.16. Yeah, that happens right before this. Jesus tells Nicodemus that people will need to be born again, but born again in spirit. He tells him how God loved the world so much he sent his one and only son to save the world and to give those who believe in him eternal life. Knowing this background is going to help us in understanding what Jesus is talking about in our story for today. But hang on with me because we have a little bit more background first. Next, we really need to know who, what, where a Samaritan was, right? Well, after the northern kingdom fell to this group of people called Assyrians, there were a lot of Jews deported to Assyria, and foreigners were brought into the northern kingdom's area to help keep the peace and settle the land. This takes place in 2 Kings chapter 17. The intermarriages between the foreigners and the Jews resulted in a mixed race. That race was considered by many Jews in the southern kingdom as impure. Those who considered themselves pure, those southern Jews, hated this race they considered impure because they saw it as a betrayal to their people. The quote-unquote impure race were Samaritans. The Samaritans even built their own place of worship parallel to the temple of Jerusalem. So both the Samaritans and the Jews held a lot of contempt for each other. The Jews avoided traveling through Samaria at all costs because of their hatred of the Samaritans. These tensions are important to understand because our woman at the well was a Samaritan. Jesus had no reason not to travel through Samaria because he didn't hold on to the same cultural restrictions as others. Traveling through Samaria was faster, so he did. A small side note, the John who wrote this book, one of Jesus' disciples, is not the same John who's mentioned at the very beginning of the story, okay? That's going to be John the Baptist. Okay, done enough of the background. Let's go ahead and read chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. 
So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. A side note here, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, and Abraham was one of those OGs when it came to promises from God. So this well would have and still does hold historical significance, especially to the Jews. Okay, back to reading. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Side note number two, women drew water in the mornings and or nights, not in the heat of day. So it's immediately obvious that this woman doesn't have a good reputation in her town and she likely keeps to herself because she's out there at noon, right? Okay, last side note, we're done. Okay, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call for your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This whole section really calls out the question, where do we seek satisfaction? If we look at our lives, we're searching for satisfaction and purpose almost every day, even if we don't realize it. So we have this big problem of trying to quench spiritual hunger with physical remedies. The problem with this is that those two things don't match up. You even see our female protagonist here is tripped up at first and doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. She confuses spiritual water with physical water. But when we do that, we hit a wall. We end up frustrated because no matter how hard we pursue what we think is gonna make us happy, we're never satisfied. We seek approval from others. Accomplishments, relationships, money, experiences, and yet nothing works. Nothing fills up that 
aching, empty place that we can feel in our chests. It's like something is missing and like we can't breathe without it. So we chase our desires and we think that if we can just get that next thing on our list, we're finally going to be happy. But happiness isn't something you can chase and receive. It'll just leave you feeling used and disappointed. We have to run after purpose and receive happiness as its byproduct. Even better, through Jesus, we receive joy. In Jeremiah 2.13, God is frustrated because instead of drinking from the spring of living water, his people chose instead to dig their own cisterns, and even though they were broken and leaking, they still chose the cisterns that cannot remain full over their God. In Zechariah 13.1, it prophecies of Jesus coming and saying that he will be a fountain that will cleanse sin and impurity. In Isaiah 55.1, it says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. God was frustrated with his people, but he still sent Jesus. We have no money, but yet God still tells us to come and eat and drink. We could never afford the living water. We could never do enough to earn it, but it's free. It's already been purchased. Jesus tells the Samaritan woman and us in this chapter that he is the living water. He is what we should be pursuing. In John four fifteen, before she fully comprehends, she asks for the water so that she does not have to continue to come to the well each day. But we still have to return to the well. Jesus didn't come to remove our earthly challenges or struggles. He came to change our hearts and to empower us to deal with the problems we'll face. There are a lot of passages that talk about this idea, and maybe I'll bring those out later. But for today, just remember to pull out your Aetzer. God made you. God is with you. That means that you have the strength to face anything this world throws at you. Okay, let's touch now on what Jesus said about worshiping in spirit and in truth. He's telling her that there will not be a place to worship because he'll make it so that our bodies will become our temples. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. We are supposed to worship God with our lives. It's about our attitude, not our location. But this probably meant more to the Samaritans than us today because they were not welcomed in Jerusalem at that temple. Remember what I said earlier? They had built their own. But here, God is promising that the Spirit is going to be with us. We won't have to go into a building to interact with God. The book of Romans gives us a lot of insight into the Holy Spirit that inhabits our bodies, our temples. It says that the Spirit will fill us with joy, Romans 14, 17. It says that the Holy Spirit will help us in our weaknesses and will pray for us. That's Romans 8, 26. And it says that God's love will be poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. Kind of awesome, right? I'd really suggest reading those chapters when you get the time. Or better yet, just read all of Romans. It's a really good book. Okay, now you know I had to mention this. In the book of John, this woman was the first person Jesus explicitly told that he was the Messiah. No parables, no suggestions through complex language. This is the first person he told outright with no questioning on her part. And it was a woman, a woman with a sinful past and a race that was looked down upon. He tells her, I am he. If that doesn't send a chill up your spine, you might not be familiar with Moses' story in Exodus. 
Moses was Old Testament, and his first interaction with God came in the form of a burning bush. Yeah, you heard me right, a burning bush. In this conversation, Moses asked for God's name, and God responds with, I am who I am. John repeats often in this book these types of I am statements that the other authors of the Gospels didn't include in their books. I like them a lot because they really pull into focus that Jesus is man, but he's also God. So to sum up what we've read so far, God doesn't care about our race. He doesn't care about our past or our gender. He came to unite us all as simply being a child and a follower of God. We live in a time where the world tries to separate us and classify us as something physical, material, or social. And honestly, maybe that's the way the world has worked for most of its existence. But Jesus was always crushing those types of barriers because he cares about what's on the inside. He cares about our soul and if the Holy Spirit is in there. He crossed barriers to share the gospel. And we should too. Maybe you're having a moment like the woman at the well. God is asking you to do something for him, and your response is that there's nothing to draw with and that the well is deep. Put those concerns aside. You might think that you have nothing to offer or that you don't have the resources. Maybe you think the job's too much for just one person or that it's out of reach. I happen to have some news for you. The only thing you need is a willing spirit, and God will handle all the doubts. You might only be just one person, but you have an all-powerful God to guide your path, to meet your needs, and to open the doors. No well's too deep for him. All right, now let's read verses 4, 27 through 30. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. If Jesus' disciples had returned and been snobbish or mean with this woman, do you think she would have been so quick to spread the word? If Jesus' followers were nothing like him and instead were like every other Southern Jew she was probably accustomed to, she probably would have thought something was off and her belief could have been damaged. It's the same now. Christians are supposed to be his disciples. We are who people associate Jesus with, and if we look nothing like him, why would anyone want anything to do with Christianity or the God we follow? The disciples were surprised, sure, but they didn't question Jesus. And because of this, she leaves behind her water jar and runs to tell people of what she's learned. That's something we should replicate, leaving behind a worldly need to chase the spiritual need. I'm not saying to not eat or to not drink, because that isn't at all how Jesus lived or how he told others to live. What I'm saying is that we should probably reevaluate our priorities in life often. Humans have a tendency of really focusing on the here and now and our future, but only in the context of our future here on earth. But our life here is a blink in the eye of eternity. We have so much more to look forward to, and bringing others with us should be be on our minds more often than it usually is. Okay, last reading. Let's see what happens in verses 4, 39 through 42. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, 
We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Her testimony caused many to believe. But even better, she led them straight to Jesus, and he made more believe and confirmed the beliefs of the others. People saw this change in her and wanted to know what caused it. That's how faith works. People see you doing things you never did before, handling things in a way they never saw from you, and living a life with a pure joy they used to not associate with you. And it causes people to ask questions. You can be just like this woman at the well, a lived-out testimony that people witness and have questions about. If you act like this Samaritan woman, you only have to point people to Jesus. And that's all she did. She didn't have to save each person. She just shared her testimony and told them where to find him. Jesus took care of the rest. And he can do the same for you. My final point is going to be her testimony. She said Jesus told her everything she ever did. What does that even mean, right? It means that Jesus saw into her heart. He proved his power from this knowledge. And then he offered her life found in the living water. Jesus is not phased by our sins. Okay, he's not surprised. That's why he came to earth, to do unto us like he did to this woman. He gently called her out. He offered her a better life, and then he let her spread his message and her faith as far as she was able. This week might be a good time to see where you're at in this story. Have you met with Jesus at the well yet? Have you found satisfaction from the living water? Maybe you're already sending as many people his way as possible. But even if you're still just walking to the well, know that Jesus loves you and he wants to give you a purpose. He wants you to be satisfied and to never feel thirsty or empty ever again. Well, that's everything I have on the woman at the well, at least for today. So thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're going to be talking about Romans 16 and the epic group of people that are in it. So I hope to see you then. If you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, or anything else, I'd be happy to answer as best as I can. And if you haven't heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth. And you have a purpose. All right. I'm signing off. Bye.